Well, this morning I'm going to be speaking about the uplifting church, and uh, we're going to jump through a couple of passages. I've got two points, one or two sub-points. But before I get to that, I want to speak about expectations, expectations. Have you ever had been disappointed because you have had your expectations kind of dashed, confronted? You had a great understanding of what was coming. Who's ever, had, who's ever planned and saved for a great holiday, a vacation? Only me. Okay, that's fantastic. I've had a great holiday. And you, you plan, you save, you get ready for this great holiday, and then something goes wrong. Happened to any of you? Or is it only people like myself? I don't think so. It's okay. You get on the airplane, you get to the other side, and you realize that your baggage has not arrived. Earlier on in the year, I knew of, I knew of somebody who went on a holiday. They were going to go a vacation. They were going to go into Norway, catch a beautiful train trip. Guess what? The plane was delayed. They missed the train. Do you know what the problem is with things like that? Is when you have expectations of what you think is going to happen, and those expectations don't work out, you are struck and you're left with disappointment. And that can be a very bad place to be. Now, when we're talking about holidays, it's one thing, but I'm talking about the church today, and I want to talk about expectations, just as introduction to the uplifting church, speak about expectations when we come to church and our expectations are not met. You know, every day people are thinking to themselves, should I come to church? This morning, I would say there are probably thousands of people, if not tens of thousands of people who got up this morning and thought to themselves, should I come to church this morning? Many of them may well have thought to themselves, I haven't been to church for years, or some of them have never been to church, and they're thinking to themselves, should I go to church? Maybe you here this morning, you're one of those people, and you thought about it, you thought, should I go to church this morning, and you took the brave step, and you came to a strange place, you, you drove into a strange parking lot, you walked through strange doors, you met strange people, people you don't know, people you've never met before, and you're sitting here today, and you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing here? Am I in the right place? My question is, what brings you here? I'll tell you why I think people come here. I believe people come here because they're looking for something. They're looking for hope. They're looking for hope. And what better place to find hope than right here in the house of the Lord? But what happens when you come into the house of God and instead of finding hope, you find yourself confronted with condemnation or judgment? The church was never meant to be a place that pulls us down. The church was never meant to be a place that condemns us. It's meant to be a place that lifts us up. You know, if you want judgment, if you want fear, if you want condemnation, if you want disappointment, just turn on the television. I'm tempted to speak about sporting teams, but I think that's sacred. We shouldn't go there. But you know, around the world, wherever we're looking, there are so many things. People are disappointed. People are struggling. People are really, really struggling to try and find out where they belong and, and try and find a sense of hope in this world. You turn on the news and you see another shooting in another school. And your heart is broken and you're thinking, what is the world coming to? You look at things like the North Korean crisis and how we're trying to figure out what's actually going on there, you know, and, and, you, and, and there's fear comes into people's lives and doubt comes into people's lives and people are struggling to make sense of the world. How, how do we make sense of this? I think even sitting here today, I'm pretty sure there are people you know of somebody or you might be in the place where you've seen family breakdown. I've, I've been so almost amazed at how many people I speak to that are dealing with tragedy in their lives. And I've not been here long. We don't come to church to find disappointment. We come to church to find hope. And I want to make, make a prediction here today. I want to say something. This is my opinion. Um, 
I'm not Massachusetts, I'm entitled to an opinion. <laughs> I believe that as the world continually disappoints people, as people turn to the world trying to find solutions, trying to find answers, trying to find hope, and they are continually disappointed, more and more will make the effort to walk through these doors and come here. And when they come here, they're going to find the hope of the world, and they're going to find life. Amen? Amen. The uplifting church. So I want to speak about that this morning, how we need to be the church that God has called us to. I've got two points for you. The first one is this. Christ has lifted, lifted us up, and the second one is because he has lifted, up, lifted us up, we can lift up those around us. Let's start with the very first one. In Christ, we have been lifted up. I spoke about that, and I touched on that. Christ did not come to, to the earth to condemn us. And this, is, this is the strangest thing that we, that we realize around the world. How, how, have you ever had a conversation with somebody who does not know Christ, they're not a Christ follower, and they don't want to come to church, and the reason they don't want to come to church is because they think, well, you're just going to judge me. You're just going to condemn me. You're going to label me and put me in a box and tell me what I can do and what I can't do, and people are scared they're going to be condemned. But if we read Scripture and we understand Scripture, John 3.16 and 3.17, Jesus never came to earth to condemn people. Jesus came to earth to release them and to save them. Let's read that scripture together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In verse 17, we sometimes don't go far enough. It says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. And if Jesus did not come to condemn the world, then neither should we be condemning the world. We should be lifting them up. Amen. It can rightly be said that in both life and death, Christ has elevated humanity, and as a church, we are here to elevate humanity and to lift them up and to bring them closer and closer to, to Christ. Let me show you how Christ lifted people up, and I'm going to give you four examples from Scripture. The very first example comes from the woman who was caught in adultery, and that's found in John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. Quite an interesting passage of Scripture. What happens here is that the Pharisees or the, relig the, re the religious leaders of the day Find a woman that has been caught in adultery. Strange about this situation is that we know of the woman. We don't know who the man was, but she's brought, she's thrown before Jesus who's standing there. And these people say to Jesus, the law of Moses says to us that such a woman should be stoned to death. And so we need to stone her to death. What do you say we should do? And he kind of looks around and he writes in the sand and he says to them and he says, you know what? Whoever here is without sin, if you don't have sin in your life, well, you come and throw the first stone. And at that point, the older people start to leave first, and the younger ones leave, and Jesus is writing, and we put in the sand, he's bending down. We don't know what he's writing in the sand. Everybody speculates, but he's writing something, and at that point, he stands up, and it says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Amen? Amen. Jesus came to save us, not to condemn us. But look what he says. says, no one. She says, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus does not excuse her sin, but he does become the voice of reason, the voice of compassion and grace in an environment of hostility. I've been, unfortunately, I've been around in churches for many years. I've been in church and the church life for pretty much my whole life. I've seen the good of it. I've seen the not so good of it. There have been situations sometimes when people come to church looking for hope, and instead of finding hope, they find condemnation. 
people walk in and they're dressed the wrong way. How can you be dressed the wrong way? You understand? I mean, people walk in and, 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 and there are always the religious leaders, if we can use that analogy, who are criticizing from the sides. Such a beautiful place to be in a church like Waters where that, you don't see that happening. It's just wonderful to come in, to be accepted just the way you are. Amen? Amen. It's fantastic. People walk in and then they don't talk the right way. Have you noticed how somehow if we're in the church just too long, we start to speak strange? We get like this Christianese that we find. It's like weird. Who teaches us that stuff? It's weird. We, we act in a different way. And, and one of the strangest things is this, is that we often expect people who do not know Christ to act like they follow Christ. Some people have never been to church in their life. They have no idea what you do. I mean, we, I've been in churches where you take up an offering, and as the offering basket goes by, one guy puts the money in, somebody takes it out. We're like, you're not supposed to do that. This is church. We're like, hang on. Oh, really? I thought this was like one of those like sharing meal things, you know? How, we expect people to know when they don't know. One of the most powerful moments in my life, I'm not one of the most powerful moments in my life, a very confrontational moment that I had, where, where I, was, I was just struck with this whole concept of why do we expect people to talk the same way and to be the same way? I was in a small group meeting. I was leading a small group. A couple of young people. There was a guy who was a bit older than me. He was struggling with substance abuse. He was an addict. We just chatted and we just shared and the Spirit of God was there and the presence of God was there and it was a beautiful moment. And at the end I said, let's all, let's, let's bow our heads, let's pray. Let's just, let's just take a moment just to speak to God. And I said, just speak from your heart. You know, when, when you've got something like that in the room, sometimes you've got to be careful when you say, let's just speak from your heart. Amen. Actually, we should always encourage people to speak from their hearts. And I said to him, let's pray, not to him, I said to the whole group, I honestly never thought he would say something. And as we bowed our head and he started to, and I said, if you want to pray, just pray. And he started to pray. And every religious bone in that room like shattered. It was like, it was confrontational on a whole nother level because he didn't speak Christian. He never prayed Christian. I can't, I can't repeat his prayer to you today. I'm being serious. I'm not saying that like, you, I can't repeat it to you. He basically said, and you can decide and fill in whatever blanks you want somewhere. He said, dear God, I'm a total mess. But he used different words, very different words. You know, when you've got a small group full of people and suddenly their eyes like lift up and they're like, did he just do that? Did he just say that? <laughs> and I'm kind of like, I'm not even going to look up. I don't, I'm not going to look up because if I look up, I'm going to see all the other eyes looking around. But you know what? Your first reaction is, don't do that. The next reaction is, I think God honors. I think God honors the purity of that prayer. I believe, you know, we're not going to get it right. Let, let's be honest. How many of us got it right this week? If you got it right this week, I'm really excited for you. Fantastic. You're a liar. <laughs> Please repent on your way out. Amen. <laughs> you know? But the truth is we don't get it right all the time. But God values the honesty of our hearts. Now, one of the things we tend to do, and this is, this is a strange thing, is we tend to focus on behavior modification rather than salvation. Think about that for a second. When people come to church, we think, well, if you can behave the right way, then you are a Christ follower. 
Now, the Bible speaks about the fact that you'll know them by their fruits, and it speaks about prophets and those kind of things. And yes, there is something inside of us where we have to, somewhere along the line, we grow in Christ. But we tend to get it backwards. We tend to start by saying, first change your behavior, then you can be a Christian. Jesus says, no, first come to God, and then through Christ, in the strength of Christ, as God takes you by the hand, things will then slowly change. It's the strangest thing we see in the world today. I, I don't know how many of you, when you, when you uh, after a long, hard day's work, I believe there was a cleanup day yesterday here. We, we've had a long, hard day, and you've been working out in the yard, and you've been doing all sorts of things. Um, and when you, you decide you now need to go clean up, so you go for a shower. But before you get to the shower, you look at the shower and think, that shower looks fantastically clean. I really don't want to mess it up. So what I'm going to do is before I get into the shower, I'm going to stand out here next to the basin. And as I stand next to the basin, I'm just going to clean myself up before I get into the shower because, you know, we, must, we don't want to mess this up. Does that happen around here or is that just like insane thinking? <laughs> Isn't the shower there for us to clean up? So why do we expect the same kind of thing in the church? Well, before I can go to church, I've got to clean up. Before I can actually step into Christ and I can start fulfilling my role in the church, before I can sign up as a volunteer and really get stuck in here at Waters, I must first get my life right. Look, why don't you just join, volunteer, be a part of everybody else? We're all on the same journey. None of us are getting it right. But you know what? Every day, maybe a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Jesus looks at this lady and she said, he doesn't doesn't say, it's okay to be wrong. He's He's not condoning sin. But he is saying, well, Let's start over and let's move forward from here. We find Christ and then we can become better through the Spirit of God and through Christ. Then we move into sanctification and becoming more like Christ. Another example of that is a friend of mine, a really, really, in fact, I'd say not so much a friend, more like a son in the faith. He was a young guy in his, tw- in his 20s, his mid, mid to late 20s. And he was one of the most unfortunate situations or stories that I've had. We buried him about two years ago, and it was one of the most, it'll sit, it'll sit with me in my mind, probably till the day I die. I walked into the church the day of the funeral, the place was packed. There were people, it was huge, it was kind of like standing room only. It made a tremendous difference in so many people's lives. I walked in, I couldn't believe it had happened, it was surreal to me. In fact, the day after he died, he died on the Friday night. The Saturday morning, I got a phone call. And the person on the other side said to me, Ve has died. His name was Ve. I said, you're kidding. I said, I'm being serious. I said, it's got to be a joke. You, you, you must be joking. He was one of these larger-than-life characters. Have you met those larger-than-life people? It's kind of like if the world crashes into them, the world's get coming off second best. It's definitely coming off second best. And, and he's... And, and here I'm getting a phone call to say, somehow this world has taken him away. And I said, I, I don't believe it. So I, I kind of wait. I'm waiting for another phone call because these things generally come like, if this thing is legit, somebody else is going to phone. In fact, I pick up the phone, I phone somebody else and say, is this, is this real? Is, did this actually happen? And it turns out he's in a car accident and he's passed away. But the reason his life is so significant, for one, is because I'm telling his story today. His life goes on. His journey goes on. But he was a very rough diamond. When I say a rough diamond, he just generally didn't paint between those really nice, neat Christian lines. You know what I mean? He kind of like came into church and didn't, he did things backwards. He didn't kind of like, like, he didn't play according to those traditional Christian rules. And we can go into detail about that. But 
He really was far from perfect, and everybody knew that. But the hand of God was upon his life. The hand of God was powerfully upon his life. And he would, he would kind of like, you know, he would meet his friends. He would speak to his friends. They're all coming to church. They're all getting saved. They're all getting to know Jesus. He goes on missions. He was down in Africa. He gets in his car. And he says, I'm going for the weekend. I'm going for the week. He heads out into, I mean, it's like the, it's like the middle of nowhere. When we say the middle of nowhere in Africa, we mean the middle of nowhere. It's like nowhere. There's like, there's nothing except maybe a cell phone signal, but let's not get into that, okay? There's no water. There's no electricity. There is nothing. There's no fuel. You take it all with you. He'd go. He'd drive. He'd find a village. There's just mud huts there, and he'd just sit down. He'd gather people under a tree, and he'd start to preach to them, and he'd share the gospel with them, and they'd be saved. Hold, he's planting churches. People are being saved all around him all the time, and all this time, he's a rough diamond, and all the kind of religious people are saying, how can God be using this guy? Because God works through imperfect vessels. When he died, I believe thousands of people's lives were touched through his life. God's not looking for perfection. In fact, till today, people's lives continue to be touched. Some of those people don't even know he's passed away. They're so remote. They know of him. They heard the word through him, but they still don't even know that he's passed away because the places he went were so remote as well. But till today, people continue to share the gospel as he shared the gospel with so many people because God doesn't look for perfect vessels. He just looks for willing hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's move on. I'm, I could camp out there a bit too long, but I don't want to do that. The second thing is I want to go to Luke chapter 5, and it's the story of the, uh, the paralytic. The paralytic, Jesus heals this man. But it's quite an interesting story because we got this man. He's paralyzed. He's got friends. It's good to have friends. Amen? Amen. Good to have friends. If you're not in a small group, join a small group. Find some friends. Amen? Amen? You don't do the Christian life alone. We do it with friends. Always better with friends. And he's got some friends, and they know that Jesus is in town. So they go, today's the day. Today our friend is going to be healed. They, they put him on a stretcher, and they march him off towards Jesus. So you've got this guy, and you've got this picture of these guys. And they, they're running towards Jesus, and they're going, today's the day. Today he's going to get healed. Can't wait. He's going to get healed. This is exciting. Can you believe it? Today our friend is going to get healed. They get to the house, and, I mean, it's, it's standing room only. You can't get in. They can't get in. They've got a stretcher. There's four guys. How are we going to get this guy to Jesus. <clears throat> Interesting question. Now, I have a theory. It can't be backed theologically, but I think they were teenagers. <laughs> because they decided to climb onto the roof. That's why I think they were teenagers. <laughs> and they decided to dig up the roof. And they lowered the man down. And you've got to see the scene. It is as craziest in my mind when I think of this, Jesus is probably sitting there, the house is full, and suddenly the roof is starting to be picked up and things are falling down, and you're thinking, what is going on here? And you've got, suddenly a stretcher starts to fall from heaven. People are probably thinking, what is Jesus doing? We've never seen him do this before. He's healed the sick. I mean, now we've got stretchers coming from heaven. This is crazy. I mean, what is it? And then here is a paralyzed man before Jesus. And then you look up and you see four faces. As I say, I believe they were probably teenagers, but that's my theory. We're in Massachusetts, I get an opinion. Okay. <laughs> Peering over saying, this is the moment we've been waiting for. <clears throat> then Jesus says this to them in verse 20. He sees them, he sees their faith, and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Talk about dashed expectations. After all we've done, you're saying your sins are forgiven? 
We didn't bring this guy all the way here to have his sins forgiven. We know we're his friend. We know he's a sinner. We're looking for a healing. Jesus goes on to heal him, but there's something we, if we don't read carefully and we don't think about this just a little bit more, we'll miss what's actually happening here. Because Jesus looks beyond the outward, okay? He heals the paralytic, but first he addresses the man's inner sin and his inner brokenness. He sees beyond his outward frailty and he speaks to the inner place of pain, hurt, and struggle. Do you know as the uplifting church, the church that uplifts the community, how often do we walk around our community and we judge the outside appearance? People act in a certain way and we say, they shouldn't act that way. Are we looking at the action or are we looking past that action? Today, the church that I was pre- at with previously that I came across from, at the front door this morning, while we were still sleeping, there'd be a man. He'll be standing at the door of the church. As you walk into that church, he'll have a big smile on his face, huge smile on his face. His name is Mike. Mike would be greeting people as they enter through the door. If you walk in sad, You'll be happy by the time you walk through the doors. He'll remember your name. He'll know the name of your wife. He'll know the name of your kids. In fact, he might even find you at the car and help you carry your kids. You know, if you've got like three kids or something, he'll do whatever he can. He'll go find. But you will be sure that by the time you move from the outside of that church to the inside of that church, you can be sure that your spirit will be lifted. He'll shake your hand. He won't just say, welcome. He'll say, welcome to church. And you think to yourself, this man must be the happiest man in the world. But not many people know when they walk past and their spirits are lifted by Mike that his wife is at home, slowly dying from a terminal disease. In fact, she's so sick she can't even get to church. Occasionally, they try and get her in and things sometimes work, sometimes they don't. But when he's finished lifting up everybody else's spirit, he gets in the car And he goes home, and he tries to lift up the spirit of his wife, which is very, very difficult for him. How many people around us, we're looking at a shell. You're looking at something on the external, but actually inside, they are dying. We spend so much time condemning people because they dress a certain way, they talk a certain way, they act a certain way. But actually, if we stop for a second and we look past what's happening on the outside, there's Jesus looking at this paralyzed man. And this paralyzed man, all his friends are like, all I need is to be healed. And Jesus is saying, no, all you need is for your sins to be forgiven because there's something way deeper going on in your life. And as the church, when we lift people up, like Christ teaches us, we look beyond those things. Let's move on from there. And we're going to go to Mark chapter 1, jumping around quite a bit. I want you to get a full gospel experience this morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't know if I quite hit the Matthews yet, but I covered all my final point. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 Jesus accepts the leper. He accepts the leper. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He says, if you are willing, he says that to Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reaches out, touches him, and he says, I am willing, be healed, and instantly the leprosy disappears, and the man is healed. Now this is, you know, I read this, And I thought to myself, something is out of place with this. When you read that, 
if you understand leprosy, you understand something is very out of place with the scripture. You don't touch a man with leprosy because leprosy is highly contagious. Yes, Jesus, the man comes to Jesus. In the first place, he shouldn't be near Jesus because lepers were exiled in, that, in those days. They, they, were, they were separated from the people. They were not supposed to be near the people. In fact, if they came near the people, they need to announce the fact that they were coming and say, I'm a leper, I'm coming near. And everybody else just scatter because nobody wanted to catch leprosy. They, they were in their own colonies. They, they stayed together and they actually were slowly wasting away. You never came near a leper. And here a leper comes to Jesus and he says, I know you can heal me and, and I really want you to heal me. If you're willing, can you heal me? And Jesus doesn't go, well, if you can just keep your distance for a while, if you can stay over there and I stay over here, I'll just like, Lord, I don't know if he played, prayed to the Lord. He was the Lord, okay? <laughs> Be healed over there. No, he goes up to him and says he reached out and he touched him. Man, my heart is so moved. My heart is so moved by the compassion and the love that Jesus has for those that are untouchables. Jesus breaks with social norms. He touches the untouchable and he shows the world that his acceptance reaches even to the social outcast and the seemingly unlovable. Who are the social outcasts of our society? Who are the seemingly unlovable within our society? One of the things I find very disturbing is the way, be it secular media or the world or whatever you want to call it, tries to polarize people. Have you noticed that? If there's a political end to be met, we create polarized people so we can try and gain support. If there's some kind of economic benefit, we can maybe create certain kind of rules and boundaries so that we can be benefited, other people not. And so we live in a world where things like racial prejudice is real. And some people thank the Lord, not in the church, amen? Not in this church, amen? Amen? Where people will look across boundaries, racial boundaries, and say, no, those are not people that we mix with. I come from a country that was incredibly prejudiced when it came to race. You know, Jesus, Jesus challenges us and says, that's not how we live. That's not who we are. We reach across all boundaries. What about social boundaries? Sometimes we take our social or our demographic or whatever you want to call it, our social standing and say, that's where I fit in and I, I connect with these people. I don't connect with those people. Do you know that those people, whenever we hear the those people or the other people, the people from there, it happens in politics. When you sit around a table with somebody that's got a different political view to you, what do you do? Do we alienate them? Or are they also loved by Jesus? They are loved by Jesus. They are loved by Jesus. And you know, we've got to love people like the same way Jesus loved people. Come across people with diseases. I've met people with some very interesting hygiene. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you do missions in some of the places I've done missions, you want to do missions at a distance. Okay? Where you want to say, if I send my money, would you promise me you'd never invite me to go on this mission again? <laughs> now we laugh about it, but it's true. Why? Because we go to a place where somebody hasn't had a bath in a month or something. Because they don't have a bath. So what do we do with them? Do we reach out and touch their lives, or do we try and do ministry from a distance? Because in our lives, whether we like it or not, there are people 
in each and every one of our lives because we live in a fallen and a segregated and a very polarized world where people are continually trying to push us up against others, and we should resist that as the church of God. We are united in Christ. We're not separate in Christ. Amen. Amen. And we should not allow the world to push us into kind of boxes and determine who we are and who we're not. When we sit with people with different ideologies, different philosophies, and we start, no, 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 hang on. In Christ, we are united, and in Christ, we reach beyond the boundaries. We reach beyond the barriers, and we touch the untouchable, and we love the unlovable around us. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus teaches us. He touched the leper, and all Jesus sometimes wants us to do is walk across our boundary and go to our neighbor and to maybe just say, God loves you. God is here for you. Let me go on to the fourth point over here, moving right along. Jesus dying for humanity. We see that in Mark 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 19, the story of the crucifixion. The unworthy and the undeserving, you and I, receive the ultimate gift from God, the substitute sacrifice. And I use that word substitute sacrifice very intentionally because the substitute sacrifice means I should have died, not Christ. He died when I should have died. He was not the sinner, I was the sinner. But he chose to die in my stead. And so he becomes a substitute, willing sacrifice. Nobody sent Jesus to the cross. He went to the cross. And he had your name and my name on his lips. And he died for us. And you know when he died for humanity, he saved and he died for all of humanity so that none of us would have to have eternal damnation And all of us could have access to God. That doesn't mean everybody will have eternal salvation. And it doesn't mean that everybody does have access to God. But it does mean that everybody has the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus. And when we make that decision, we then are saved. When we make that decision, we are spared from eternal damnation. And we can then step into eternity with God. One of the most powerful things about the death of Christ, Paul says it in Romans chapter 5, And I'll read you a scripture, and then I'll just quickly unpack it a bit before and after. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, before that, Paul says this. He says, sometimes maybe one might die for a good man. You might might be prepared to die for a good man. You might be prepared to die for your friend or a good person. Not necessarily for a bad person, but here's an interesting thing. Would you die for your enemy? Right now, if you had a formulate a picture in your mind of who your enemy is, would you be prepared to die for that person? And I think sitting here today, it's highly unlikely that many of us would actually give them even the time of day. Yet the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 5 that Christ died even for those that were at enmity with him. Enemies, why were we enemies with God? Because as sinners, we are placed in opposition to God. Jesus can't look. He's holy. He's a holy God. God can't look upon sin. So when we have sin in our lives, we are the enemies of God, yet even in the state when we are enemies of God, he chooses to die for us. Jesus did not limit his sacrificial death to the good and the desirable, but also to those that were enemies of God. So in death, Jesus performed the ultimate act of accepting the other, lifting up all who would come to him. Isn't that an incredible message to us today? No matter where you are, What an incredible message. It was in the death that Jesus ultimately lifted up all of humanity. Amen? And so we have that, what Jesus has done for us. 
Let me move on to my second point. If you're confused, that was four points under point one. Okay. Point two is this. Having been lifted up in Christ, we now lift up those around us. Quite an interesting concept and quite a challenging thing for us as well. It's uh, a couple of years ago, I was walking through a Christian bookshop. I was in Australia and I was walking through a Christian bookshop with a friend and he opened up a book and he said, look at the first line in this book. I said, okay, it's a Christian book. Fantastic. Yeah, it's probably another. Simply this, the book starts like this. It's not about you. Wow. Now think about that for a second because it's not about you. Everything in this world teaches us to make it about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Am I comfortable? Am I happy? Am I content? Do I have what I want? Am I getting my way? We talk about breakups and marriage and families. Most of that is all not, you know, there's this thing that I've, I've heard. Pe- people sometimes separate, and please don't feel judged anything by this, irreconcilable differences. Where I come from, that's a reason to separate, go to the judge, say, want to go our own ways, irreconcilable, different, irreconcilable differences. What that basically means is this. I want my way, you want your way, and we're not prepared to talk about this. It's all about me. But when we come to Christ, it's no longer about me. It's about others. It's not about you. It's about Jesus, and it's about others. And that's a very, very important thing for us to understand. If we go across to Genesis chapter 5, I mean Genesis chapter 13, we see this. God speaks to Abraham, and this is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And God gives Abraham a promise, and we like this promise. In fact, if you're like me, you probably prayed this promise into your life, but we've got to read the whole thing and understand it. This is what it says. It says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. God speaking to Abraham. I will make, the, I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. Now, at this point, I'm going, I'll make you into a great nation. Thank you, Lord. I'll bless you. I receive that, Jesus. I'll make your name great. I'm enjoying this so far. Lord, you can keep speaking. And you'll be a blessing. Sounds fantastic. Hang on a minute. You'll be a blessing. What does that mean? That means that what we are given is not given just for our own enjoyment, but it is given that we might serve those around us. That's what it's all about. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. God never blessed Abraham so he could be content, happy, and selfish. God blessed Abraham because through Abraham and his descendants, he intended to bless the world. God wants to bless the church. Why does God want to bless the church? God wants to bless the church so that through his church, we can go into society, we can go into the world and lift others up. I mean, one of the big misconceptions in the church today is, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. What are you going to do about blessing somebody else? No, you've changed the storyline. We don't want to go down there. Let's stay with the bless me story, not the bless somebody else story. Keep the focus here. Spotlight here. No. Stop that. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. And as we are blessed and the blessing flows into us, it flows through us, Christ has lifted us up so we can lift others up. Christ has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others as well. That's the gospel. That's what happens in us and through us. Think about mission for a second. If you go on a mission, you go on a mission to some strange place, you're going off to Africa, you're going to South America, wherever you're going, some weird place, people don't know any, I mean, they've never heard the gospel, 
I've been to places like that. They've, they are totally new. Just to, to, They are hungry for the gospel. When you're going on mission, what are you doing? All you're doing is you're saying, the blessing that Jesus has given me, the hope that he's given me, the love that he's given me, the destiny that he's given me, the purpose that he's given me, the eternity that he's given me, I now get to share with people around me. Now, you don't have to travel across the oceans. You don't have to go across the borders. You can just go into your town. You can go into your city. You can go into your state. And you just have to understand that us, even today, in this place, we have received from Christ. Through the worship, we have received from God. Through the word, we have received from God. Through the spirit, we have received from God. Something is in us. And as we walk out of this place, we have the opportunity and the privilege to give to somebody else. I speak to so many people who go, I've got nothing to give. I'm like, you have everything to give. The fact that you're here today, you've already received something from God. I mean, you've, something has already touched your life. Something is already there. It is incredible what God has done. If you have received from Jesus, if you know Christ as your Savior, you can share Christ with others. Amen? Let me end with this very quickly. We are here to bless the people around us. Christ lifts us up. Christ lifts others up through us. When that happens, communities are touched, and God is glorified. Amen?